my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. All right, if you have thoughts on what we should cover in a future episode, please let us know on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. Okay, on to today's topic. Today we are going to be talking about things like greenhouse gases, CO2 emissions, the need to make products green, and specifically how Cisco is participating and contributing to the net zero challenge by making its products, like our energy efficient network routers, more sustainable. Uh, we have an amazing cast of champion hosts and a phenomenal expert, so let's get to the introductions. Yeah. Oh, I think I have a... Uh, <laughs> Dustin, we're going to start with you. Uh, who are you? What do you do? Hi there, Dustin Gabbett. I am a director at ScanSource, uh, focusing on the CX practice, and we help our partners get through their customer experience specialization and uh, build out their uh, customer success practice. All right. Liam? Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Liam Keegan. I run 24-7 Networks, which is a partner out of Denver, Colorado. Uh uh, I am a longtime CCIE, and uh, I am interested in hearing about uh, today's topic. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, Sebren. Yes, my name is Sebren Um and I look, coming from the Netherlands, owner of Three Corners, and we mainly, mainly focus on Cisco collaboration, portfolio, and, and WebEx, and a stop-of-stack uh, application suite. We hit uh, the wide range of other technologies, so I'm very, very keen on learning on, uh, on uh, sustainability and you know, everything around it. All right, Guru, that leaves you. So glad to have you with us today. Can you tell us more about who you are? Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Guru Shanoi, and I am Vice President of Product Management for the Mass Scale Infrastructure Group within Cisco. And uh, we are responsible for our routing product lines uh, that we sell to uh, the largest web companies in the world, the large service providers, large and small service providers, actually big enterprises, public sector networks, um, that those spaces. And, you know, I'm really excited about this topic today because, you know, sustainability, obviously, it's a, it's a very critical topic on a, on a global scale, on a human scale. And particularly where we sit and where I sit in the organization, um, building these products for some of those largest customers, it gives us an opportunity and, and candidly a responsibility as well to do things that will, um, that will ultimately help not just business, but also, also the environment. So I'm excited about this topic. We're doing a lot of stuff. And I'm eager to discuss and share and get uh, thoughts from uh, all of our panelists as well. All right. Okay. Well, I think a really good starting point is to maybe level set our understanding. What does sustainability really mean? Sure. I, I can go uh, take that. You know, sustainability, obviously, it's it's a broad term. It means a lot of things. Um, ultimately, it's about, in our context, I would say, um, making sure that what we do is not just good for business, but also good for the environment. And clearly there's been a lot of work done at the international level, treaties signed, the Paris Accord, COP26 more recently, where um, a big issue is how do we manage and control our uh, carbon emissions, for example? Um, how do we develop sustainable practices across the ecosystem uh, in order to ensure that we find that balance between between economy and, and environment. And so sustainability really is about addressing 
uh, doing all the things that we need to do in order to find that right balance uh, so that we, we have a reusable, sustainable set of things that we, we can continue to replenish. Uh, you know, Cisco has really been at the forefront in uh, a lot of sustainability, sustainability initiatives for a long time. And we've actually increased our commitments as well in the recent past. Uh, obviously, there are these big uh, global scale goals. Um, a lot of folks may be aware of the net zero pledge that uh, a lot of companies have taken. Cisco has done the same thing. We have pledged, you know, Chuck Robbins, our CEO, has pledged to drive um, to net zero emissions for all global scope one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions, and we can talk about what that means, by 2040. Uh, and in fact, reducing and going to net zero for global scope uh, one and two greenhouse gas emissions by 2025. So some ambitious goals. We've done a lot of things internally. Uh, there is a, an office of sustainability that Cisco has set up with uh, and a newly defined uh, chief sustainability officer. There's a lot of collaboration happening across the business units now to make sure that some of the practices we need to implement to uh, drive sustainability across our ecosystem, whether it's our manufacturing our products, coming up with programs that help our ecosystem and partners and customers, uh, all of that is taken into account and we share those best practices across business units. And um, so there's a lot of work going on and we can get into more details as we go forward. But that's kind of, you know, just a, from a framework perspective of how how we think about sustainable sustainability and the kinds of things we're doing. Those are sort of the things that uh, I think are interesting from our perspective. If, if, if we go to the Cisco website and, and, and pull up the Cisco 8000 series routers product page, right? I mean, this is the big iron that the, the big service providers, like you said, the hyperscale uh, people go with. And, and obviously they're deploying a lot of it. You know, what, what I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, point number one is performance, point number two is ops, point three is security, and then point four on the sort of main page is sustainability. So maybe you could tell us just a little bit about some of the, you know, sustainability initiatives that actually go into something specifically like a, a like a Cisco 8000 series. Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, and before I even get to the specifics of 8000, um, you know, let me step back on one and talk about one aspect that is extremely important, which is energy efficiency, right? There's a huge amount of work we do around energy efficiency. Uh, and the Cisco 8000 particularly has been designed with uh, energy efficiency in mind. Uh, and the reason for that is quite simple. If you step back and take a look from, of course, a cost perspective, using lesser power means you save save money. That's that's a given. Uh, and we can talk about some of the math there. The numbers are pretty large. And the larger the customer is and the larger network footprint they have, obviously the savings are bigger. So clearly it's a good thing from a business perspective to be able to design products that consume less energy. Uh, but there's also a, a very good um, uh, sort of uh, reason from a sustainability perspective as well. And that is, if you look at what are some of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions, um, if you go to the EPA website, the US EPA website, number one is transportation, right, at around 27%. That contributes around 27% of greenhouse gases. Number two is uh, electricity generation, right? That's 25%. And so it's in all of our interests to actually optimize the usage of energy. Lesser consumption means the, the need for production is lesser. Even as we move towards cleaner ways of producing energy, there's a lot we can do to uh, reduce the uh, the actual usage of energy. And so 
that is one of the key benefits that we are seeing in our drive towards energy efficiency in the 8000 portfolio in particular. And now speaking of a few more specifics, right? I'll just give a couple examples of what we are doing. One, there has just been advancements in technology, right? Process new technology, for example. Just about eight years ago or so, if we had to deliver a router that does 10 terabits of capacity, uh, we, we couldn't do it in a single chip, right? We couldn't even do it in a single system. We had to actually compose multiple systems, put them together. So all the interconnects, all the chips that go into that consume power. And as an example, if we picked something like a Cisco NCS6K from eight to 10 years ago and wanted to use that system to deliver 10 terabits of capacity, it meant roughly 2,500 plus chips that are in that whole system. That's the number of chips we needed to deliver 10 terabits, right? And now we can do all of that in one. Wow. So, uh, that's what Cisco 8000 does. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And of course, uh, you know, we have benefited from process node technology improvements. We've gone from you know 22 nanometer down to seven, headed towards five. So that ha- that has been like a global, um, as an industry, we've moved in that direction. That's of course helped a lot. But we've done a lot of innovation inside of the architecture, the way we have composed the Silicon One architecture, which drives the 8000 portfolio, uh, really focused on power efficiency. And then the systems that we build on top of it, uh, a lot of work has gone into how we design the systems as well. The air intake mechanisms that we have implemented, the um, the intelligent algorithms we have for uh, tuning up and down fan speeds based on actual device temperature and not just running them at a fixed speed, which obviously helps uh, reduce power consumption. So we don't have to use heads- headphones or headsets in a data center anymore. That is the goal. And um uh, <laughs> Absolutely. You walk in there, it's it's a din. And, uh, you know, being able to control some of that has, has some of those nice benefits as well. If, if I haven't stepped into a data center uh, in in five years, I, I wonder if I'd, I'd be curious, uh, oh, is is everything on still? Or is it uh, is anything turned off? Is anything shut down? Oh, there's lights. Okay. There's lights. Yeah. But if you, um, uh, if the Silicon One is such sh- uh, a power efficient uh, processor, then that means also less heat dissipation, right? Absolutely. And less heat dissipation also means less cooling. Absolutely. And, you know, there's math that we can do. Um, that there's algorithms that show how much CO2 emissions you're producing as a result of your product running. And that's published. We've started publishing some of those results now associated with the product. So you can see not just all the things that you normally see on a data sheet, but also CO2 emissions uh, soon. Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, right, cooling and running fans to dissipate the heat actually sucks up a lot of energy and so being able to optimize that means you can you can consume less energy doing uh, doing that job double double whammy save money uh, save power save money save power uh, and then you save cooling and you're saving money everywhere and you know that's one of the things here we hear um, often and i think this question had come up in our discussion earlier when we talk about sustainability uh, are you doing things that will make us pay more right it's a question that we often hear and the the answer is um, not really. And the reason for that is, uh, just take a look at this example that uh, you just mentioned, Dustin, right? If I, let me just pick a concrete example. So we're talking numbers that folks can understand. If we take a single fixed platform, let's say a 32 by 400 gig port platform, which is a Cisco 8000, 8201 or 8202, uh, that platform consumes about 400 watts, right? Um, 
let's say 400 watts per hour and then if you do the math uh, how much that would end up consuming in a month right if you just do the math there it ends up being roughly forty dollars assuming about 14 cents per kilowatt hour is the is the uh, amount that you're paying for electricity and that can of course vary anywhere from six and seven cents all the way to 30 40 cents but let's just pick an average number of around 14 cents which is what i see on google when i search to see what the average is in the u.s um, now a lot of other platforms just one generation before or even competitive platforms they're closer to the 800 watt consumption range just for the same form factor and the same capabilities, right? So um, that means you're spending twice as much on a single platform. Now, it may not seem like much. You're saving $40 a month, but that's on one platform and nobody has one, right? Even even small players have 100, more than 100, and the largest players have hundreds of thousands of these devices, so now you're talking, if you have 100 devices, now you're talking 4,000 a month, that's $50,000 a year, even for a very small player. And so there's an immediate tangible benefit of having uh, highly optimized power efficient platforms. It's a competitive edge for, for us, for our customers as well to deploy that, and it's savings. Um, so it's, to your point, Dustin, uh, it, it's, it's good for business, it's also good for the environment. Right. And so you, you, can, you can get the best of both in a lot of these cases. So that savings that you just talked about was only talking about the energy consumption, not to the point of, of the of the cooling capacity, which which would be another ad- additional uh, savings. Absolutely, and there would be all those benefits uh, roll, rolling on top of that. So it it looks to me like you know just looking at the the Cisco eight thousand series data sheet that the eighty eight eighteen is the big that is yep. the big you know the 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 thirty six U or whatever I mean, it's huge right it could twelve hundred pounds uh you know fully loaded and doing some power calculations on this thing i mean you if you if you pack it full of power supplies you can it can draw around 120,000 watts right which assuming let's just say you're you're somewhat loaded not not fully but you're you're consuming 80,000 watts i mean one chassis at 14 cents a kilowatt hour per month costs $8,000 to just keep on and i mean yeah, you know, the, the, the scale of that, especially in, you know, like you said, in these mass scale or hyperscale type mm-hmm. providers is nobody has just one of these. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. It is. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll just point out that there is provision power and then there's typical power, which is what you actually use. And from sure. a sustainability perspective, um, you, it makes sense to often look at the typical power, which can be lower, regardless for a large system like that, for someone who needs that kind of capacity, um, it is a lot of power consumption, right? So there's a, a huge incentive for everybody involved to optimize that. And if you look at some of the big web scale players, right, the largest in the world, um, they essentially, what they're limited by is the power envelope that they can support in a data center. And they actually work on everything backwards from there. So from a business perspective for them, power becomes a, a key factor in deciding how they will budget um, their their network footprint, how they will build that. Uh, and of course, for us, optimizing the power has not just the benefit of being able to service their needs, but again, coming back to the topic of the day here, it, it drives sustainability and savings across the board. But it, it's, it's not just about power savings, right? It's also based on how the type of paint chosen, uh, specific components, uh, how it's used, how it's produced. Uh, and... That, that that's that's the that's the initial state, but also at the end, 
the end of life of the device uh, after five or maybe ten years, uh, how to demolish it and how do you, and how to uh, get it back. That's that's also part of the sustainability program, right? How 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 does that work? Yeah, no, that, that's that's a great point. I know we kind of jumped right into the design aspects of the of the product, but there's a lot that goes in, right? We we like to refer to the framework that we use to. Um, sort of drive our sustainability initiatives as a circular economy initiative, right? If we, if we look at what that means, historically, we have had a more like a linear economy uh, in which we have consumed, right? So someone takes, pro- takes raw materials, makes something, uh, somebody uses it and then disposes of it. But in the circular economy, what we very consciously try to do is we make, use, and then reuse, right? Try to bring back as much back into the ecosystem as we can. Uh, refurbish, remanufacture what we can, reuse components, of course, recertify them, uh, and really try to take waste out of the system. And this uh, implies doing this in every aspect of our uh, ecosystem, whether it is design, we apply circular design principles, you know, circular operations principles, consumption principles, you know, going back to some of the uh, reuse and take back programs and so forth. So it it encompasses all of that, right? And then if you just look at the design and manufacture, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's um, there's a lot of other things. It's not just about power, right? It's about making very conscious and very intentional choices behind what goes into every step of the way. So, for example, when we uh, when we actually design, uh, when, we, when we put together a box, can we have, can we just eliminate oil-based wet paints, right, which are uh, significant contributors to CO2. And we've actually done that on our Catalyst 8000, and we're rolling that across the board on all of our portfolio as well, right? So to your point, right, making decisions in what kind of uh, paint we choose, what kind of packaging we choose, right, reduction of paper, Mm -hmm. even things we are looking at things like when we send out license information, can we not put it in two different envelopes, attach three different slips of paper, right? Uh, can we do e-licenses? Can we just have one sheet of paper instead? So uh, even going, going, yeah, by email, right? So save a lot of that. So those are some of the kinds of things that we do in the in the packaging and design. And then there's a lot of things that we are doing even in the manufacturing processes, right? So for example, uh, we realized this recently when we were, um, by the way, I'll step back and I'm going to jump and take a little bit of a segue. But internally, we have set up sort of um, a, a tooling and a scoring mechanism for all of our products and our processes to see how we rank uh, on the sustainability score, right? And so when we were doing this recently for one of our product families uh, on the 8000 side, we discovered that there are things like one-time ESD straps that we are shipping. And we actually don't need those because we have these ground lugs already. So we mitigated the problem of uh, ESD, electrostatic shocks. So we took that out, right? And then we are able to compute how much CO2 savings we drive as a result. Um, So these are just some of the examples of how we are looking at things across the ecosystem. Power, of course, is a big one. And we focus a lot on that at the very fundamental design level, ASIC design and platform design. But there's all these other things in manufacture um, and supply chain and all of these things as well. But but it's it sounds like to me when you're talking about not only power but some of these other sort of ecosystem type changes that this is not an afterthought that this is sort of front and center in the design mm-hmm. process whereas maybe traditionally you know years back that it was more of an afterthought is that the big shift 
I do think so. I think we've gotten, so sustainability has become part of our design process and our thinking process um, across the board upfront, right? Uh, we, when, we, when we write our product requirement documents, just as an example on 8,000, there is an entire section that we need to go through for sustainability evaluation. We run it through our internal tooling to score the platform based on the, uh, the reusability choices we've had. Do we have the right modularity of components that can be reused across multiple products in the same family, right? So uh, we do all of that. You're absolutely right. It's moved, uh, it's moved from a place where maybe we considered it at times to a place where it's actually mandatory to have that thinking upfront, even as we design other things like scale and features and you know interface types and so forth. Yeah, I was curious about the how that fit into the design aspect because when you're first talking about you know a router or a product of any type, it's got to meet the business requirements or the you know data requirements. That's kind of first and foremost. But as you're going through and comparing, what are the cost benefit to having something that consumes more power because it's doing more stuff versus something that meets sustainability requirements or gives it a better score. Uh, it, the first thing you have to do is meet the requirements of what you're trying to solve, right? Yeah, and and that's what we do now, right? Of course, we have to meet the requirements. We wanna keep pushing the boundary on technology and what we can deliver to our customers. But we also now think very consciously about how can we do it in a sustainable way, right? Can we make some intelligent choices uh, make some design tweaks. Can we can we use um, you know lay out our board slightly differently for more efficient airflow to to accomplish the same uh, same function, but in a more sustainable manner. So those are the kinds of things that we are very intentionally doing as part of our design process, and all of that innovation is coming coming back into the product portfolio. Liam, you mentioned earlier the twelve hundred pound eighty eighty eight eighteen fully loaded. My immediate thought was I want to get my weight down to be one-sixth of an 8818, but that's that's where my head's at. But uh, I'm going to use that as a unit of measure of weight, uh, measure of weight now. But the uh, that modularity also kind of leads to being sustainable, right? Because someone needs to scale um, and, and they want to be able to size what their deployment is initially, um, making it so you don't have to rip and replace something, but you can kind of build on it. So you can start with something that has a, lower power requirements, but lower capability, and then scale it up. So modularity, which has always been a part of a lot of the route switch components that, that Cisco's done, can can also uh, you know lend itself really well to sustainability, I think. Absolutely. And of course, a lot of this depends on customer philosophies as well and how they view modularity. But certainly from a product perspective, there's a lot of uh, benefit for everybody involved if we are able to use, you know, modular components and, and use them across uh, across families. It also helps a lot of things like testing, right? Your testing becomes a lot easier. Um, and, and that also has a lot of benefits on sustainability because you, you have to do less oftentimes because you've certified the product or, or that part in other scenarios and you don't need to recertify it all over again um, in, in, a, in a potentially a new product or so. So there's, there's all of that. Uh, and speaking of testing, by the way, there is... It's um, even though we talk about, um, you know, we talked about the product, there's a lot of peripheral things, as you guys know, that go into qualifying a product, right? The, the software testing, the during the development cycle of a product, right? Uh, you can actually use lots of prototypes uh, or you can rely a lot on simulators where, where you can leverage um, 
you know, essentially software to test a lot of functionality. So there's a lot of focus internally on leveraging those kinds of means as well, tooling and software, uh, and, and not just relying on physical equipment, which also helps take, take waste and reduce um, uh, real actual consumption of chips and so forth. I didn't even really think about the testing portion of it, right? I mean, you have to test the stuff when you're doing, uh, you know, MTBF. Or, uh, I, it wouldn't be a Cisco uh, wouldn't be a Cisco podcast if we didn't have an acronym, right? Uh, mean time between failure, but uh, but the but when you're doing those tests, right? You you got to test it out. Modularity, like you said, kind of lends itself to well, we've tested that component over here, so we know the specs on it. We don't have to spend the time, the energy, and all of that other stuff to to, to test again. Just a, a question: you, you you're mentioning CO two CO two emission and reduction of it. Is that also verified by external companies? Yes. The claims of, yeah. of, of the emission reduction. Yeah, there are a number of certifications, right? Like uh, Green Star, I believe, is uh, is one of them. And um, so there's, um, in fact, there's a whole list of uh, certifications that we are following, and it's posted on our page as well. Um, so I'll pull that up. In addition to that, there are metrics that um, various standards bodies, IEEE and others, are trying to define so that we all have a common taxonomy and a common language. And this is something that uh, internally, you know, the Office of Sustainability at Cisco that I mentioned, we're working on establishing as well as sort of a standard across the company. So there's definitely a lot of those uh, in the works now. And, you know, our goal is to get to a point where we publish these metrics uh, by default in data sheets for all of our products. Right. I think because some of these metrics are still being defined as an industry, we're not there, but Cisco is very actively contributing and, and um, trying to move the industry forward as well in that direction, where just like, for example, if you go on Google today and you search for flights right, from one place to another, it not only gives you all the cost and the itinerary and all of that, but it tells you exactly what your CO2 footprint is going to be. And that's our goal, to make that just part of our... Uh, yeah, look it up. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And it, it actually, you can actually compare even different options based on emissions. So it's very interesting. And so you can see as an industry, uh, or, or really, all of us uh, are trying to move to that space where sustainability, sustainability becomes a consideration uh, and there is value attached to it and people start looking at it consciously. And so that's what we are trying to facilitate as well with uh, what we are doing on our side. Having an awareness and a, and a cognizance about about it is one thing, right? Uh, so seeing it in things like flight searches or, or on data sheets, uh, it might be something that someone uh, asks about, asks uh, a customer, asks a partner about if they see it on a Cisco data sheet and they're like, oh, okay. And then if, if there was a competitor, not that there's any competitor Cisco, but if there was a competitor that had a data sheet, they could say, uh, they could say hey, uh, what is your you know, XYZ, your greenhouse emissions or, or your uh, carbon footprint? And, you know, that's also being mandated. So it's not just uh, uh, we, of course, are doing it because we've started this process. We've signed the net zero pledge and uh, it, it we, we believe it's the right thing to do as part of all the activities we are doing. But, you know, we are seeing especially Europe is taking the lead in this. Uh, there are regulations being published. And, and uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and you can take some credit for it. <laughs> uh, we are we are seeing. Uh, mandates from European authorities for CO2 emissions. We are seeing RFIs emerge, especially out of Europe now, where uh, publishing that and certifying um, your your emissions 
is going to be part of the process of procurement. And, you know, we, we see this progressively happening in the, across the globe. Uh, companies, and this is one place where I'd like to get your input on, right? Are you seeing any mandates come to you for, um, from regulatory authorities for, you know, offsetting your carbon footprint and things like that, where now you have to think about the dollar value associated with things like sustainability and emissions. And is that a factor in your thought process or the customers that you work with? I, I mean, I, I can go ahead and answer. I, we're not seeing that as much as we are, I think, a lot more recognition or just awareness around not trying to send old stuff into the landfill. I mean, there's a lot of, of, of initiatives, even Cisco's driving around, you know, e-cycling, you know, making sure that this, the components get reused or, or disposed of in some sort of sustainable manner. But that, that's what we're seeing the most of. And we have those conversations, I would say, pretty often, I mean, especially for the larger refreshes. I, I think uh, in general, I know there was a, a stat uh, that I, I made sure to kind of uh, uh, note, but it was... Uh, partners in general, Cisco partners and IT, you know, uh, vendors in general are building and maintaining sustainability practices. Um, and the a poll last year uh, said that 41% of those partners have some sort of take back recovery and recycling services that they offer around IT hardware in general. And uh, that's, you know, that seems like it might just be a nice to have like, yeah, 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 we can take your stuff for you. But of those 41% that were pulled, 45% of them actually uh, expect to generate revenue from those sustainability solutions. So it becomes, um, you know, uh, a nice thing to to offer, but it can also be a differentiator for a partner and a customer who's going through the same type of things as they're trying to do a scope one or scope two from a net zero, how they're trying to achieve those things uh, in their own business. You're you're absolutely right about that. We are, um, and and that's a big, that's a huge benefit because everybody is trying to, um, for the most part, meet those um, net zero challenges that they have placed in front of themselves, right? And and being being in a position to offer them that that helps them get along further on that journey and meet their goals uh, is a differentiator. Guru, when when you're responding, or Cisco or the partner community is responding to these larger RFPs for these mass scale or hyperscale type type organizations, right? I mean, I think we kind of, you know, Facebook and Microsoft and whatnot. How often are they asking about sustainability beyond just power, you know, the, the, the power consumption? Are, are the customers starting to drive that behavior? Yes, they are. Most definitely. And um, some of the largest customers, the names you mentioned and others uh, of their in that same uh, orbit are actually asking us specifically. We have we have sessions with them on sustainability now. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the past, when um, customers would show up at our campus or we went to theirs to talk about our product portfolio and roadmap and uh, all kinds of stuff. We do the usual stuff, right? We talk about what's coming, you know, innovation that's coming down the line and software features and all that kind of stuff. Now we oftentimes have a specific session as part of the those those briefings on sustainability, what we are doing. There's a lot of interest in power, obviously, and this is why we have chosen to focus so much on power for all the reasons we mentioned earlier on the 8,000 family in particular. Um, so there's most definitely a, a very high degree of interest in, in this from the biggest customers. And do you do you see that those large uh, 
ISPs like uh, also used it as a unique selling point. They are using sustainable uh, core components in the net infrastructure to uh, outperform their, their, their competitors. I don't know that I see so much of that uh, very directly. Uh, I do see uh, a high degree of interest now as part of what they uh, evaluate a product on and what they consider value for them uh, as part of a product. I do see sustainability and power efficiency and such becoming very central to their decision-making process. Um, I don't know if uh, they're quite directly using this uh, for generating advantages for themselves. Certainly, I think it helps them further their own goals and meet their goals. And and also, in certain cases, when they sell to, uh, when our large customers sell to um, governments and such, I think that becomes a differentiator for them for sure. Um, um, So I'm, I'm sure a lot of that is happening. I just haven't seen it very overtly just yet. But I have no doubt that we will start seeing that happen as well. I wonder if it, uh, it it probably would align with their ESG priorities, the another acronym, the yes. environmental, social, and governance priorities, and and, and that's a good uh, another thing I wanted to bring up too is those ESG priorities that Cisco has. Uh, one pillar, one leg is the environmental sustainability, but there's also supply chain uh, sustainability, which which is a whole other conversation. Um, but you know, talks about the 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 people that are building the products, and then also responsible mineral uh, choices and and consumption. So, it's sustainability is it's all over Cisco, and Cisco's all over it. Yeah, yeah, and that's why you know, in I think it was a great question. Uh, uh, Emily started off by posing, right? How are we looking at sustainability? And that's why I mentioned that it's actually very broad, right? At the Cisco level. And this is public. We have a website that we talk about all of these things. We're looking at a lot more than just um, climate, uh, you know, emissions and climate change implications and all of that, right? We also have things such as, to, um, to your point, Dustin, are we sourcing responsibly, right? Are, are we looking at human rights aspects of where we source from? All of that is part of our ESG charter. I, I just didn't focus on it as much here, uh, topic for another conversation, but absolutely right that that's all part of our ESG charter. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty cool. They, the uh, it's just a, shows how extensive it is, um, and the I think, and I'm not as familiar as I'd probably like to be, and I'll probably get more up to speed on it after this uh, podcast. But the in the scope three, I understand there's a lot more kind of downstream responsibility for the net zero challenges, where it's like. Uh, not responsibility, but how the how the end users and how the customers are using your products, uh, the the products, um, and so I mean you 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 don't have it as much control. I mean one might say you don't have any control if someone chooses to put an an eighty eight eighteen on a four fifty four big block Chevy and drive it around uh, using you know. Um, ethanol or whatever who knows it's, i mean it you don't have you don't have a say in that but if somebody did it uh that's a that's a scope three uh type thing so yeah no and and that's part of the reason why the pledge buys time if i may use that term until 2040 for meeting net zero on scope three and why we are so much more aggressive on scope one and two so for those those of you who are not as familiar some of our listeners you should just perhaps google it but you know um, briefly scope one and two are sort of things in our control 
Scope one is emissions that we directly produce, right? Um, the products that we build, the design choices we, that we make and so forth. And scope two is uh, the emissions that we are responsible for as a result of our direct consumption behavior, like you know electricity for our buildings and such. So if we switch to clean sources, that's in our control. And we have done a lot of that already. Uh, and we publish where we stand on internal dashboards as well as public dashboards. Um, so that's why scope one and two, we feel a lot more comfortable about making the choices that will get us to net zero by 2025. But scope three, like you mentioned, is what is our ecosystem doing, um, whether we can directly or indirectly influence them. There are some things that we can control, like business travel, for example, that results in generation of greenhouse gases when someone takes a plane. Those are kind of things that are a little bit more in our control that fall under that scope three definition. Uh, but there are others that, to your point, you know, we are less, we have less control and that will come with awareness, you know, implementing the right monitoring and visibility and just making making sure people understand the implications of, um, of, of choices and, and helping them give alternatives that will uh, help help us overall get to scope three zero. I, I just kind of have shifting gears for one second. And I think this maybe just tees off of some stuff that we were talking about earlier. Like one of the things, Guru, that you mentioned was like spinning the fans up and down in the data center, right? Like that's something that's sort of that it's it's there. You have the ability to do it. But like at the silicon level, right, are the the, the thing that I would think would drive a lot of the power consumption is actually like the algorithms that, that power these chipsets, right? When when the when the when the designers are coming up with the the actual, hey, how does this this ASIC function? Is power is is sort of that power budget considered? Meaning, like we could get this much more, you know, we, we could get this much more performance out of this, but a, a, a hole opens up in the ozone, so let's not do that. Like, is there is that is that addressed? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different things. It's it's software is definitely one piece of it, right? But um, again, it starts by by us looking at what are the requirements that we're going to address for a particular market segment or so forth. Uh, and then how do we design so that we can make it as efficient and as sustainable as possible, right? And that leads to, just an ex- as an example, since you talked about uh, the silicon level, right? It's about when we design a piece of silicon now on the 8000 family, we're able to put a lot of memory internal to the chip that in the past would have been external, right? So SRAMs and all kinds of stuff. So um, th- those are some of the things at the at the ASIC level, but there's a lot of implications at the system level as well, right? Um, for example, when you lay out your system board design, can you make do with less PCB layers? Uh, can you can you eliminate one voltage transition? Because there's power loss in every, every, every time you do one of those. Um, can you design your system so that the power utilization efficiency is as high as it can be, right? So PUE, if you're familiar with that term, is something that a lot of operators use to figure out how efficiently they use the power coming into their facility, right? And we are looking at similar things at the platform level. How efficiently can we use the power that's coming into a system? And we look at every component that that power gets used along the way. And software is one part of it as well, because, you know, if you have a large code base, and a, a, a huge footprint of software running in memory, you're going to need more, more memory, potentially more CPUs, and all of that adds up, right? So if we can optimize our footprint, then we can reduce the size of our SSD disks and our memory footprints and um, CPUs even, the number of cores you need. So uh, all of these go into the design aspect. Again, within that framework of 
can we meet the requirements? Are we designing to meet the requirements? Now, how can we do it most optimally? And many of these are incremental, right? You can see the kinds of things I'm talking about. A lot of these are very painstaking, small incremental changes that add up over time. You know, that there's, there's some big changes, of course, but a lot of these tend to be engineers just looking at every little thing and figuring out how we can optimize it. All right. Okay. Um, Groot, one last question for you. Um, anything that we didn't ask you? Any, any last comments or points you'd like to make before we close out? Actually, that, there is one, one, one thing that occurs to me that we didn't talk about because we spent a fair bit of time talking about our processes, um, design aspects of products and so forth. I think there's one other thing, which is architectures, right? Um, if we look at how networks have been deployed, uh, a lot of them have been um, very siloed. What, what I mean by that is if you want to move packets, you have an, an IP layer and uh, that's one. Uh, but then you also have an optical layer underneath that's completely separate historically. Uh, one of the things that we believe can drive a lot of optimizations, and it's not just belief, we have we have evidence and stats that show this, right, is just converging things where it makes sense. So, for example, we are very big on IP and optical convergence. That We have technologies now that allow it. So if you just think about what that means, earlier we had transponders and whatnot to transport bits in the optical domain. Now we have technology that takes those transponders, puts them in optics, and actually puts those optics inside of our router itself. And we refer to this architecture as our routed optical networking architecture. So doing that, you obviously take away a lot of real estate and space and all of that. You save a lot on the operational overhead because now you have one set of devices that does both. And of course, the power consumption savings and hence the positive implications that we have on emissions and sustainability are huge. You can realize the same level of functionality in much smaller footprints, much more power optimized. So I think really the, the message, if I may, is that when we think about sustainability, especially where we stand at Cisco, we look at a whole variety of things, right? Architectures, manufacturing and supply chain, um, product design that we talked about, all of the things that we need to do for our ecosystem partners to take back uh, reuse, remanufacture, refresh, all of that is part of our um, overall initiative around sustainability. And, and shameless plug, we actually, as part of Champions Radio, did an episode on that same topic, not so much with the uh, focus on sustainability, but for these mass scale or these, these infrastructure providers to take three, four, five pieces of equipment and con condense them down into one. I think it was season nine, episode seven. So give it a listen. Nice, Liam. All right. Amazing. Uh, to our listeners, if you want to continue your journey and learn more about our sustainability efforts, check out the link provided in the show notes below. And of course, your weekly reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week. 